When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us the day before Thanksgiving. I know lots of people listening habits might be a little bit off because a lot of people are probably taking the day off to get ready to go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house for Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm here staying in town and we're going to be doing a full show. Lots of fun stuff coming up and uh, stay with me as you get ready for your turkey day tomorrow. I know tonight is one of the, the big social nights as well because you have a lot of people that are in town. Lots of college kids are back in town. My stepdaughter and son-in-law always have this party. They call it an old-fashioned Thanksgiving. Now, it's not exactly what you think of. It's 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 old fashions, and that's what happens. They they my son in law my uh, son in law Darren he's just great at making old fashions, and all you do is show up with the bourbon, and they will make you a great old fashioned. So we'll do that, and then have a big family Thanksgiving that is coming up tomorrow, and then um, I'm back on Friday afternoon. All right, something I do want to highlight. We've been talking about this week. There is still time to get your tickets, and they are starting to go fast for our holiday radio show. Um, this, I believe, is the sixth year that we have done it. I saw the script. Uh, we had a table read two days ago, and I will tell you, I think this is one of the best ones we've done. I, I really do. I think this is um, it, It's the WTMJ Players. Um, it's called A Christmas Tale. Um, you can join all your favorite hosts. I actually happen to, I probably have the principal role this year. I mean, you stay around long enough. It just it ends up being your turn. But we have a number of our on-air people. I think pretty much everybody that's on air. We have a number of special guests as well. This year's event is coming, and we're going to be doing it at the Grand Ballroom at the Fister Hotel next Monday. It's a WTMJ Christmas tale. Tickets are on sale now, but they are going fast. Here's what you do. You just go to our website, WTMJ.com, to purchase the tickets. Um, a portion of the ticket proceeds benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Drake & Associates, Dave Drake Camp Heating, and Gruber Law Offices. And and one of the, the things we want to highlight is, I know sometimes in the past people have said, well, if we, if we come downtown, is there going to be a problem with parking? No, your, your parking at the Fister is included in the cost of the ticket. So you don't have to worry. Your car is going to be in the Fister parking garage. No problem at all with that. Doors open, I believe, at 5.30. The show starts promptly at 6.30. Um, we'll, we'll be done by 8 o'clock. So if you're worried about going to work on Tuesday and, gee, I don't want to have one of these things that I'm out to 11 or 12 o'clock at night. I don't want it to be one of these 16-inning baseball games. Don't have to worry about that. We'll... we'll Doors open at 5.30. We will be done by 8 o'clock or so. And, and we just I, this is always one of my favorite times of the year. My uh, big selling point is my wife, Fran, accompanies me, and we try to come out before the show in an intermission and say hi to everybody. So if you're still looking for something to do on Monday, tickets are still available. Go to WTMJ.com, and we hope to see you at the Fister in the Grand Ballroom for WTMJ's A Christmas Tale. Um, it will it will be fun. All right, I want to start off the show by just an, an acknowledgement. Um, Alex was referring to this in, in his newscast. When I um, 
got involved in Wisconsin politics, uh, which would have been, well, I ran for attorney general in 1994. So I I ended up meeting a a number of people, many of whom become fast friends of mine for actually the, the last you know, you know, 30 years or so. Um, and one of the first people that I ended up meeting who has has been a very good friend of mine over the years was State Senator Alberta Darling. Um, Alberta Darling, um, who represents, I think it's the 8th Wisconsin Senate District, but it's essentially, you know, the some northern portions of Milwaukee County, and then it's a good portion of Ozaukee County and a portion of Waukesha County, and I believe a portion of Washington County. Um, Alberta Darling, First went into the state legislature. She won a special election for a Senate assemb- uh, for a House assembly seat, an assembly seat in 1990. And then in 1992, she was first elected to the state Senate. And Alberta has been a state senator reelected since 1992. And there have been I mean, she she's just she's been number, number one, incredibly popular. Number two, she's been a, just a, a vote a vote-getting machine, because there were several elections where you, you had the opposite side just threw everything they had trying to unseat her, and it, it never worked. People, you know, I think really loved Alberta Darling, and I'm certainly one of those people. Alberta is one of the first people I got to know when I started getting involved in politics. She has been a very, very good friend over the years, and um, she has just announced that effective next week, effective December 1st, she's going to be stepping down from the Senate, and she's she's been in the, the state Senate for again since 19 is it 1992 I believe is when she was first elected to the state senate 92 94 whichever that would be but she's just been there for an incredible period of time she spent years and years on the the joint finance committee you know writing the budget and things she has been a tireless advocate for for education and she's been one of the people who's been been pushing um, for example, school choice and very, very concerned about the state of public education. And on top of all this, Alberta Darling is just a really, really nice person. You know, one of the one of the things about politics nowadays is because politics has become so tribalized and, and, and this is on both sides. It's on the right and on the left that it's it's almost impossible to be able to, you know, talk to politicians on, on uh, you run into some liberal politicians, for example, I'll just use that example. Then they want to talk to you because they think that you're, you're evil if you, you don't agree with them. And, you know, you, you get that from the flip side as well. And that's something that, that didn't always used to be that case, the, the case. I mean, Tommy Thompson, when he was the governor of Wisconsin, he, you, you could sit down with Tommy Thompson if you were even a liberal Democrat and you could have a, you could have a beer and you'd be able to do that. And, and over the years, unfortunately, those type of people have, have just sort of disappeared. I mean, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, years and years ago, the leader of the Democrats in the state assembly was a guy named Wally Konicki. And Wally's actually a very good friend of my brother-in-law, Dave, and nicest guy in the world. And, and even though we have very <laughs> different views of politics and things like that, I, I enjoy sitting down and, and having a beer with Wally. It, it, it always have. He's a good He's a good guy. You could talk to him. Jeff Playley who was a Democratic state senator um, from, the, from south, the south Milwaukee area. He 
uh, passed away, unfortunately, last year, way too young, but a, a really, really nice guy. You could reach across the aisle and, and you could have the, these conversations with him. Alberta Darling is exactly like that. Uh, you can agree with her politics. You can disagree with her politics. But if you don't like Alberta Darling as a person, there's something wrong with you. That's just that's the, all I could say. She's just a really, really nice lady. She's the type of person Wisconsin is better off because Alberta Darling was in politics. And again, you can disagree with with her on on the issues. I, I understand all that, but she's just she's just a great great lady, and um, she's just she's been in office for a, a long time. I think she might have retired a while back, but unfortunately, she lost her husband about the same time I lost my first wife, and and so we, we've kind of had that that bond in, in common. And one of the the really nice things, my my wife Fran has been a close friend of Alberta's as well, and she's been a close friend of ours over the years. Um, and we, we've just I. I I wish her the very, very best. And I just I want to start off the show by saying that, you know, there are people in politics that we are better off because they were there. And Alberta Darling certainly is one of those people. She's earned earned her retirement. What happens next? Governor Evers will announce a a special election. Uh, There will be, I think, a number of candidates that emerge. Don't know when the date for that's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if it maybe corresponds with the the spring spring election so you don't have to spend money and have another one. It is a Republican-leaning district, but, you know, the Democrats are going to try to, you know, I'm sure they will spend a bunch of money. Republicans will spend a bunch of money. It's not like control of the Senate is up for grabs, but that seat, if it should somehow flip to the Democrats, I don't believe it would be would again keep the Republicans short of a supermajority in the Senate. So there'll be a lot of money that'll be spent on that. Don't know who's going to run for the seat on either side. But um, the story today is Alberta Darling announcing that she is stepping down after a long and distinguished career, and she certainly deserves the best. And that's where I wanted to start the program today. When we come back, is there is there no end to the emergency I will explain. We will discuss. A number of people are sending texts who've interacted with Alberta Darling over the years. Um, Jeff, she's nice. I used to see her at parties that I catered. Yeah, she is just extremely nice. Uh, One of our other texters, Jeff, I saw Ms. Darling at a neighborhood grocery store once, and having remembered seeing her as one of your TV guests when subbing for Charlie. Yeah, that back in the day when when Charlie Sykes used to have the the Sunday Insight show, and I would fill in guest hosting for him on Channel 4, you know, maybe eight or ten shows a year, and and Alberto was one of the the regular guests that I would would use. And he said, anyway, our texter says, I decided after seeing her, you know, with you on television, I decided to approach her and tell her that she rocks, and she was very nice and receptive. I would probably put her on my list of nicest public figures I have ever met. Yes, she is. And, of course, when you go up and say, you know, Senator Darling, I just think you rock, you're probably going to get a, a good response. But I think, you know, that would, that's just generally it. Alberta Darling is one of the really, really good people. And um, I just the, the, the political world would be better if we had more people like Alberta Darling in it and fewer people like, well, fill in the blank, but more people like Alberta Darling. Hey, getting a lot of feedback, uh, you know, Alex was talking about this, the Brewers. See, the Brewers made a pre-Thanksgiving trade, and uh, a lot of people are suggesting this is this is just another one of the reasons why David Stearns was probably bailing, because it sounds like, at least if you want to be cynical, you get the idea that the Brewers are, are dumping salary again. Last 
Last year, one of the best trades that they made was the the trade we did with Boston where they brought in Hunter Renfro, and um, they ended up uh, – and, and Hunter Renfro went on to be one of the two or three best hitters for, for the Brewers, a team that was challenged when it came to hitting last year. He played right field for them. He was due to make about $11 million this year, and if you haven't heard, the Brewers traded Hunter Renfro, who was one of their most consistent players – uh, they traded him to the California Angels for three pitchers that have, have really never been in the major leagues. Um, guy named Jansen Junk, uh, J-U-N-K, uh, Elvis Pagera, who is a hard thrower in the bullpen, and a, um, a guy named Adam Cement. Seminarius. So nobody you've ever heard of and, and nobody with any like significant history in the major leagues. And I, I mean... I think if you look at this, here, here is my take on on this whole thing when it comes to the Brewers. And I speak only from the perspective as a fan and somebody that has like one of the 20-pack season tickets. The, the truth is the Brewers need to retool because the Brewers, as presently constituted, aren't going anywhere. That's just the reality. You saw that at the end of two years ago, and then you certainly saw it last year when they didn't make the playoffs. So that they need to do something different and they need to figure out how to spend money. And, and Hunter Renfro, who I think was a great addition to the team, he's 31 years old. He plays right field. If you look at the Brewers' list of prospects, they, they have their, their top three or four or five prospects are all outfielders. And they're outfielders that, by and large, are ready to, to come to the major leagues and find out if they can play or not. And so the question becomes, all right, do you pay Hunter Renfield, 11, Hunter Renfield $11 million dollars? And, you know, have him, you know, take up that space, Hunter Renfro, do you pay him $11 million and have him take up that space? Or do you find out if if these younger guys can play and then take that $11 million and use it uh, in some other way? Uh, extending, you know, Brandon Woodruff or extend trying to extend Corbin Burns or something like that. And so I, I think it, it's a decision that makes sense because, they weren't going to the World Series with Hunter Renfro. And if the goal is to get to the World Series or get deep in the playoffs every year, they, they, they had to make changes. So the question to me isn't, is it time to move on from Renfro? The question is, first of all, you know, did the guys they get, were they any good? And, we, you know, we're not going to know that for a while. But secondly, they're going to save a whole bunch of money. What are they going to do with that that money? And if they don't reinvested into trying to go out and bring in a big-name free agent or more likely trying to extend some of their players for a couple years, well, then you can say, hey, this was nothing more than an effort to try to dump salary. If they instead take that money and use it to, uh, again, improve the team or extend some of the players you want to keep, then it ends up making sense. So this is a deal that I think some people say, oh, it's nothing but a salary dump. To me, this one makes sense because you got a clear way. Find out if these young players that have been in the system can, in fact, play. They've played really well at the minor league level. Can they play at the major league level? That This one makes sense to me, unlike the Josh Hader trade, which I continue to believe will go down in history as one of the worst trades in Milwaukee Brewers history. Stick around. Lots more coming up. There is a lesson for every prosecutor out there, and starting with John Chisholm, although he's too old to have learned lessons, um, but, but there, there is a lesson that sometimes we, we think we're doing people favors 
um, by by not prosecuting him, not holding him accountable. And it almost never works out. The, the story, I mean, last week we, we had the story of the gunman who walked into the, the drag show at the gay nightclub in Colorado Springs, ended up shooting five people and wounding 19 others. Remember that story? Well, it, it now turns out that the guy who, the gunman, was involved in an incident, well, in June of last year, where he apparently held his family hostage at gunpoint. According to authorities, what happened is his mother called the police, say that her son was threatening to kill her with a homemade bomb, multiple weapons, and ammunition. So the authorities respond. They end up, you know, seizing. They didn't find a gun, but they ended up like seizing. They didn't find a bomb, but they ended up seizing weapons and ammunition and things like that. He was arrested on two counts of felony menacing and three counts of first degree kidnapping related to the incident because he was holding these people hostage. Well, for whatever reasons, the authorities didn't go ahead and proceed with the charges. I think in part because the family decided they didn't want to cooperate. So the family, at least that's my understanding, said, look, we, all right, this, this is just, it's all a misunderstanding that, you know, he was holding his hostage at gunpoint. And we called 911. So th- they did not cooperate with authorities in the prosecution. So that coupled with, I think, some other factors. Anyhow, they didn't prosecute this guy. And people, they are, right, well, we're doing him, giving him another chance, whatever. No, if you have somebody that is holding their family hostage at gunpoint, Gee, what happens if you make the decision that you're not going to charge him with anything? Well, should we be surprised when six months or a year or a year and a half later, the same guy that held his family hostage at gunpoint goes out and does something else? And in this case, five people dead, 19 people wounded. The point is, by not intervening earlier, and some people are saying, well, maybe we should have had red flag laws or whatever. Well, there's only so much you can do. If, if you're not going to cooperate with prosecutors or prosecutors aren't going to bring charges when you have somebody who engages in what is clearly dangerous behavior, well, we, we shouldn't be surprised that this stuff is, is going to happen. And I don't know whether it's fair to criticize the, the family for not being willing to go ahead and press charges or whether the DA's office you know, just made the decision not to. But regardless, this is another one of these examples of where by not intervening, by not prosecuting him, maybe we think, oh, we did him a favor. No, all you did was pretty much, well, you you can't have a crystal ball, but you put the lives of all sorts of people at risk, and, and now he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. Five people are dead, 19 more people are wounded, and, and maybe, just maybe, if there had been a prosecution back in June of 2021, maybe the dynamic would have changed. My point is, we don't do people a favor when they engage in antisocial criminal behavior by not holding them accountable. And when will people ever learn that message? number of people texting in saying, well, you know, can't prosecutors go ahead if the the family doesn't cooperate? We're talking about the incident where the the shooter in the Colorado Springs, the shooter at the the, the bar during the drag show, you know, ended up killing five people and and wounding another 19. And well, it turns out that in June of 2021, he held at least some, some family members hostage at gunpoint and claimed to have a bomb, and ultimately there wasn't a prosecution, in part because the family chose not to cooperate. 
And I, I guess you know people are saying, well, can't you go ahead even you know if if they don't want you to, and and you can, but it makes it makes the prosecution a lot more difficult. This is a huge problem in domestic violence cases where you know you have the the guy that beats up his his girlfriend or his wife or whatever, and the police come and they intervene, and then all of a sudden they get back together, and the wife or girlfriend decides she doesn't want to cooperate. Oh no, we're back together, we're in love, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they either refuse to testify or they're a reluctant witness or whatever, and and the prosecutions become not impossible, but extremely difficult if you've got to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and you have a you know the, the principal victim who is not cooperating or not being forthcoming. Can you do it? Yes, but it's much more difficult. So uh, I think you know that's that's the problem that that goes on, and you would certainly have this in this situation as well. You could you have gone ahead with a prosecution based on the evidence? I think probably, but if the family members are urging you not to do it, if the victims say we don't want this to happen, it's it's much much tougher if that is in fact you know what happened. But I guess my point is by by not blasting ahead by deciding, okay, well, we're not going to cooperate with authorities, or if they were willing to cooperate with authorities, authorities just making the decision not to go ahead, you might think you're doing the guy a favor, and you're not, because unfortunately, this is the type of stuff that happens all too often down the road, because the next time, if they're not held accountable for the first thing they do, they do something worse not necessarily always five people dead and 19 more people shot, but they do something worse. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. In 2003, after, now keep in mind what happened in September of 2001. September 11th, you had the the terrorist attack on the United States. You had the Twin Towers. You had the attack on the Pentagon, et cetera, et cetera. In 2003, Congress, in response to the terrorist attack in September 11, 2001, passed something called the HEROES Act. And what this did, the HEROES Act was designed to give people a break in a time of national emergency from having to pay student loans. So the the HEROES Act lets the education secretary waive regulatory or statutory provisions related to the federal student aid program during a national emergency. Okay, that, that's the key, a national emergency. All right, the HEROES Act was invoked in March of 2020. All right, so what happened in March of 2020? Well, we had COVID hit and we had the, the pandemic shutdown. Right. I mean, it seems in some respects like some days, sometimes it seems like yesterday, other times it seems like forever. But remember, March of 2020 hits. You've got the covid shutdown. You've got the, the, the government coming in and ordering businesses to close. You've got unemployment that goes absolutely through the roof because through no fault of their own people, their, their jobs just end up disappearing. You, you've got all that blow to the economy. So in March of 2020. What happened is the Trump administration came on and said, "Okay, we're going to invoke the HEROES Act through the Secretary of Education, and we are going to pause payments and accrued interest on student loans. This is back in March of 2020 because people are losing their jobs right and left. All right. Okay. so then what happened is that forbearance was supposed to end September 30th. All right. September 30th. Then what happened is, you know, Congress got involved and Congress said, okay, we're, we're still 
in this pandemic. It's September 30th of 2020. The economy has not responded. People still aren't back at work. We're still dealing with this. So what has happened, and it happened starting in the Trump administration, and then it's picked up speed in the Biden administration, is this this pause has been extended over and over and over again. And the Biden administration, now this is, Joe Biden's been president for going on two years, right? Going on two years. The pandemic is over. Now, I understand we still have COVID, but the pandemic is absolutely over. There's no question about it. It's been two and a half years. The unemployment rate right now among college graduates is about 1.9%. So that's similar to pre-pandemic levels. The Federal Reserve did a study in May that found that student loan borrowers have seen their financial positions improve during the pandemic, owing in part to the fact that you had $3,600 in child tax credits, $3,200 in stimulus checks. Um, Delinquency rates on auto loans and credit cards are below pre-pandemic levels. In other words, there's no good reason at all to not make people start paying their student loans, right? That's just kind of the background. But the justification is, well, you know, we've got a national emergency going on. Well, we all know that what Joe Biden decided to do in an effort to buy votes, in my opinion, in the elections at the end, at the beginning of this month, was what, what Joe Biden did is he said, look, I'm, I want to forgive $10,000 in student loans, and if it's a married couple, $20,000 in student loans, as long as your income is less than two hundred grand or whatever that number is. That has been held up in the courts because I think most people believe that the that the government, the the president, doesn't have the authority to do it. And the only question the Supreme Court's going to have to decide is all these states that are suing to block this, do they have what is called standing? And, and that's that's what they're going to have to decide. But if they decide that these states have standing to sue, what's going to happen? I don't think there's any question that Biden doesn't have the legal authority to do this. So that that's all held up. Meanwhile, the, the, the student loans, at least starting to have to make payments on the student loans, that's starting to come due. Yesterday, Biden announces, nope, here is what I'm going to do. I am going to use this law that says I have the authority to suspend payments in a national emergency. I am going to use this to, again, put the student loans on pause for another six months, et cetera, or until the Supreme Court ends up issuing a ruling. The two-and-a-half-year pause has saved the average borrower $400 a month, which they could invest, they could pay off credit cards, etc. It's cost the taxpayers $155 billion to date since interest isn't accruing on the student debt that the government is financing with debt that carries increasing interest rates. So the estimates are this latest extension that Biden has ordered is probably going to cost taxpayers, you and me, another 40 B as in billion dollars. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I think it is absolutely outrageous that the president of the United States is trying to claim that we are still in a national emergency based on COVID, as an excuse 
for not requiring people to start paying debts that they have legitimately incurred. And, and see, I don't care how you look at this. All right, let's say that ultimately he's able to give $10,000 in student loan relief. Let's say it's ultimately upheld. Okay, then if people are ending up able to do this and they've made a $400 a month payment, you give them the money back. They're, they're in, then you give them the money back. Alternatively, for the people that owe like $40,000 and they might be due for $10,000 relief, why shouldn't they have to start making their monthly payments? There is no reason in God's green earth why the taxpayer should be continuing to fund this student loan moratorium. And again, the only legal justification is to claim that we are still in a national emergency. I'm sorry. We are not in a national emergency because of COVID any longer. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Hi, Jeff. I'm pretty liberal, but I totally agree on this one. People need to pay their bills just like I have to and you have to. Well, absolutely. This is the President of the United States raising his hand and waving at us, except he's only using one finger. I understand why in March of 2020, at the height of the pandemic, when it's just hitting, people are losing their jobs. I understand why you say, okay, this is a national emergency, so what we're going to do is we're going to pause student loans. Okay, that's March of 2020. All right, now we are in November, soon to be December of 2022. I mean, do the math. The pandemic is essentially over for all intents and purposes. People are back at work. And Joe Biden is still saying, well, I'm not going to make people make a, pay a dime and I'm going to suspend the interest on these student loans. So you have people who took out student loans in good faith, who have been many of whom weren't impacted at all during the pandemic, who continue to work, et cetera, et cetera, who haven't had to make loan payments and who haven't had to pay a dime in interest. Meanwhile, the taxpayers keep accumulating that interest. This is it's blatant and a blatant attempt at vote buying. Even if Biden is somehow able to get his student loan relief package, the $10,000 or up to $20,000 for families that make what less than a quarter million dollars a year, that, that's still Again, my example is if you owe $40,000 in student loans, even if you're due to get $10,000 in student relief, tell me why you still shouldn't be making payments. This is it is just a cruel joke on the taxpayers. And apparently, you know, the, the president of the United States has decided this need to pander to a certain segment of voters is more important than being finan- fiscally and financially responsible. 855-616-1620. Jeff, there is no reason to forgive student loans. If you want to go to college and can't afford it, then it's your responsibility to pay the loan, not the taxpayer. It's only a tactic for make Biden look good. I don't know that this even makes him look Good. Jeff, my husband still owes approximately $17,000. We're in our mid-50s. If this would have been done during COVID, but all the courts are holding it up, that's why we're still waiting another six months. Student loans need to be overhauled for sure. Well, see, this is my point. The, The only justification legally is if it's a national emergency. Explain to me what the national emergency is now, other than the fact that Joe Biden is apparently thinking of running for re-election. Let's start with Ed in Wauwatosa. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I think maybe changing the conversation is warranted. Okay. Hello? Nope. Lost Ed's cell phone there. 855 855- 
616-1620. Jeff, I always said, do you want something screwed up? Put it in control of the government. Um, you know, well, I, look, this is just, I mean, okay, my question is, okay, if we're going to do this to student loan borrowers, and, and there's no there's no means testing here. I mean, keep in mind, by that I mean there, there's no, we're just doing this blanket um, amnesty on uh, not only making the payments, but also on, on the interest as well. Interest can't accumulate, which means the taxpayers are on ultimately on the hook for this. So the taxpayers are ending up paying for that interest, not the student loan borrower. And, and we don't even make an effort to say, okay, do we need this? I mean, for example, what about the person, I don't know, who owes student loans, but has been working for the last two and a half years and is making eighty or a hundred thousand dollars a year and has every ability to make these payments. Why in the world shouldn't they have to do this? I mean, I guess that's the question. Um eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, it's vote buying with taxpayers' money. The president knew it's unconstitutional, but suckered those who believe it into their votes. Um, Jeff, who determines a national emergency? Well, that's a very interesting question. I mean, are we in a perpetual state of emergency? I thought the president of the United States not that long ago, you know, issued a pro- actually a while ago, said, OK, the, the, the pandemic is, is over. Um, I thought I, I saw that. Um, Jeff, my feeling is there should be no debt forgiveness, but maybe restructure interest rates. And, I, and by the way, I think that would be an appropriate way to do it. Let's try to figure out a way to bring the student loan interest rates more towards a market interest rate. Now, that's that's not going to give people as much relief now as it would have, say, a year or two ago. But I could understand something like that as opposed to just this blanket forgiveness. But that's not even what we're talking about now. What we are talking about now is this notion that we're going to just simply, essentially forever, it appears, just declare ourselves in a permanent state of emergency – so people don't have to make the payments. So nobody has to make the payments. So you can be, you can be that doctor, you know, who's gotten out of medical school and, you know, has student loan debts, but is making $150,000 a year, for example. You don't have to pay a dime. You don't have to pay a dime. Interest isn't accumulating. Where do you go to get these deals? And I guess my question is, if that's going to be the philosophy, why are we just limiting it to student loans? Why why aren't we applying it to other things? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to make your mortgage payments? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to make your credit card payments? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to make your car payments? I could go on and on. Um, Jeff, I have suffered something from spent. I have some, I have suffered from something for sure. I want my truck payment put on hold. I wouldn't take advantage of it likely, but at least it would give me the options. Um, yes, Jeff, I think Biden is buying, buying votes. I think the interest on college loans and the repayment plans that keep you paying for decades are also wrong. And I, Again, I'm all in favor if you want to come out and say, let's figure out a way that we can restructure these loan payments to make the interest more market rate or something. I think that's a fair discussion to have. I I really do. But this idea to use the HEROES Act, which was well intended in 2003, to say, okay, in a time of national emergency, we're, we're we're going to put stuff on hold. 
Well, you can argue that we were in a national emergency in March of 2020. You can argue that we were in a national emergency in September of 2020. Maybe you can even argue that until the vaccine started rolling out, we were still in a time of national emergency in January of 2021. But we're, we're almost in January of 2023. This is essentially Joe Biden's permanent, eternal emergency. It's illegal. He knows, I believe, that it's illegal. He thinks he can do it anyways, and hopefully the courts are going to say no. But beyond that, regardless of what the courts say, this is just fundamentally wrong. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> One of our texts, of the last thing we were discussing. Jeff, I have a small loan I took out from my son's college. They're now 26. I make $300,000 a year plus, and I'm still not paying interest or paying off that loan interest-free. I don't agree with it, but I'll take advantage of it. My note was, yeah, I understand. Why pay off a debt when you don't have to? The question becomes, though, you know, why should the taxpayers be underwriting that? I mean, I, I get it. I, um, a few years ago, I bought a car, and the at the time, they were offering 0% interest. I mean, 0% interest? And I, I was in a position where I could have paid cash for the car, but I was thinking, well, okay, why, why would you pay cash for the car when I could – you know, take that cash and just, you know, use it to invest or, or whatever. Now, I understand it's been a tough year in the market, but but nevertheless, I mean, if you've got an interest-free loan and somebody's going to give me an interest-free loan, I'm going to take advantage of it. So I don't fault the people who aren't paying down on their student loan, but I fault those people in authority who are letting people do it, plus giving them the justification that, well, it's a national emergency. There's no national emergency. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. But another story from the world of politics, and this is one where I'm not sure anybody's going to agree with me on this, but we'll we'll, we'll venture down this route. Um, I, as a result of the elections, and I understand everybody's talking about, well, the, the Democrats just overperformed, and, and that's true, but only to the extent that people thought it was going to be a complete and total red wave that did not materialize. The Republicans did take retake control of the House of Representatives. It looks like at the end of the day, they're going to end up with 222 seats. Um, 218 is what you need for a majority. I think a lot of us thought it was going to be a little bit more. I, I think my prediction was like 224, but they ended up with 222. So Nancy Pelosi no longer going to be the Speaker of the House. The Republicans will control one of the, will control the House of Representatives, which essentially means. They will be a check on Joe Biden trying to push through legislation, regardless of what happens in the Georgia runoff. The you, you know you need both the House and the Senate to agree on legislation. And now that you don't have a Democratic majority in the House of Representatives, it becomes again a check on Joe Biden and a check on the Democrat-controlled Senate. And maybe you can argue that that gridlock is a good thing. But now that the Republicans have control of the House of Representatives. There's two ways that they can go over the course of the next two years. One way is that they can say, okay, payback is a you-know-what. 
And over the course of the last several years, you have had the Democrats that have used their power in the House of Representatives to you know, investigate Donald Trump for this or that or the other thing. And you've had these endless series of investigations that, if you want to view it that way, have been nothing more than a witch hunt. And so now that we control the House of Representatives, it, it's time for payback. Turnabout is fair play. Look out. Here come the investigations. And the flip side of that is, okay, at the same time, from the perspective of the country, is it time to to move on from some of this stuff, and do we want to have more investigations? Now, what I'm specifically talking about is the president's son, Hunter Biden. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a note about this the other day. Hunter Biden, President Biden's son, is, in my opinion, a complete and total grifter. The kid has traded on his family's name and the fact that his father was a prominent senator, the fact that his father was vice president, the fact that his father is is now the president of the United States. Hunter Biden, in my opinion, has, again, the kid's a grifter who has, again, traded on the family name to enrich himself. And there's all sorts of examples of that. He served on the board of this Ukrainian energy firm from 2014 to 2019 with with no apparent qualifications at all. He was paid $50,000, you know, per month. And I, I mean, I think there's the potential for a conflict of interest there, but there's really, this has been investigated thoroughly and there's, there's really not any sort of credible evidence suggesting that, you know, Joe Biden was involved or getting payoffs with this. There's his deal with the Chinese energy company that, um, well, he entered an agreement in 2017 with this Chinese company with reported ties to the Chinese government for consulting work. Ultimately, um, this China Energy Corporation paid $4.8 million to entities controlled by Hunter Biden and his uncle, Joe Biden's younger brother. But there's never been any evidence that Biden knew, Joe Biden knew or personally benefited from this engagement. It's also not known publicly whether Hunter Biden actually did any sort of work for this. So I think it is fair to conclude that, like I said earlier, Hunter Biden is, Hunter, Hunter Biden is a grifter who has used his family name to try to make one deal after another, he's gotten a lot of money for essentially doing very, very little, if anything. And if his name was, you know, Joe Schmo instead of Hunter Biden, there, there's no way that he would have gotten these consulting gigs. There's no way that he would have gotten this thing with China. It just would not have happened. All right. I, and I think that's the reality. There are criminal investigations that are apparently being conducted by the, the Justice Department focusing primarily on whether there was was tax fraud that was committed and things like that. And again, I don't think you can argue that that Hunter Biden isn't a sleazy sort of operative. Okay, so you you've got that. But and and here's here's the but. Over the next 2 years, there are decisions to be made with how we operate this government. And I guess that the question that we have to focus on is do we move forward or do we say, you know, we don't like what the Democrats did to Donald Trump over the course of the last couple of years. So now that we are back in control, we're going to launch all these investigations into Hunter Biden and try to figure out, you know, again, what he was doing in 2014. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. And I know some of you 
might disagree with my conclusion that Hunter Biden is a sleazy grifter. And some of you might disagree with this other conclusion, but I stand by it. I, for one, want the country to move forward. And I guess I just don't want to see Republicans take this newfound majority that we have and then go back and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We are now going to spend a whole bunch of taxpayer money trying to, again, look at Hunter Biden and and what was the deal back in, in 2017, this agreement with the Chinese energy company. If the Department of Justice feels that there is a crime that has been committed or he's committed tax fraud, I mean, go for it. But at some point in time, I want to see Congress start to move forward and focus on what we can do in 2023 and what we can do in 2024 and what we can do to make American life better, whether it's tax reform or border control or whatever. And I just think we need to move on from, I don't know, going backwards and saying, OK, we're we're upset with what happened here. We don't like the fact that Joe Biden is the president. Well, he's going to be up for election in two years. And if he decides to run again, people can vote for him or vote not. I just don't want to see the next two years spent with us spinning our wheels investigating Hunter Biden's laptop. And I take that from the perspective of, again, I think Hunter Biden is a grifter. I hope the Justice Department goes after him. If it turns out he committed tax fraud, that's fine. But I don't want to see Congress spending time with hearing after hearing after hearing and the Democrats spending millions of dollars in their own social media response to this. Don't we have to move on? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Regardless of where you stand, Republican or Democrat, isn't it time to move on? Hit the wrong button. Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how you doing? Good. What do you think? I think it's time to move on. I mean, the Republicans ran on the border, ran on crime, the economy, and now the first thing they're talking about is Hunter Biden investigation. Come on. Yeah, well, I enough guess enough is enough. Yeah, and, and I'm willing to accept the premise that he's a sleazebag and a grifter and he might be a crook. I'm willing to accept all those premises. And if the Justice Department wants to go after him, you know, go after him. But, you know, this is the Senate looked at this. There doesn't appear to be any evidence that Joe Biden was taking payoffs. The kid, I think, was clearly trading on the fact that Joe Biden was his dad. But OK, fine. We know that. Move on. If the kid committed a crime, prosecute him. But let's figure out the border. Let's figure out crime. Let's figure out taxes. Let's let's do that stuff instead of looking backward to 2014. Right. I agree. And was that McCarthy that got up there right with that wants to be speaker? And so I'm going to investigate this and that. It's like, come on, enough already. It's like kids throwing a fit on the playground. Right. Well, thanks for calling. And and see, and I I felt I felt a lot of the investigations into Donald Trump were were I think they were mean spirited and politically motivated and were a distraction. And, And I guess I just think that. When when Republicans get the House majority, for example, which is a really, really big deal, you you have to show that you want to govern. You have to have a forward-looking agenda. If nothing else comes from the 2022 midterm elections, I think it's that – I think it's the American people in general want to move on. They want people that have ideas as to 
what's what's going to happen? What are we going to do in the future? One of the, and again, I, I freely admit I'm a never again Trumper, but one of the things that was missing from when he announced that he was running again for president, you heard nothing that was forward looking. It was like, it's not like, what do you want to do? You know, if you do get elected for another four years, what is your vision? Where do you want to move this country? That's what I want to hear from the Republican representatives that control the House. Let's Let's have this argument. Show us where the, these issues are. I say the same thing, you know, in the Wisconsin legislature. Okay, I, I want I want to see the ideas. I want to say, okay, let's let's see if we can advance things to make stuff better. I, I don't want to relitigate 2016. We pick it up right there in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Now, now keep in mind also that there was a period of time where the Republicans controlled the Senate. And and you've already had two Republican-led Senate committees that have looked at, you know, the the Hunter Biden involvement. And and so far, there's nobody that has any sort of direct ties to to Joe Biden and getting payoffs and things like that. I think we can accept the premise that, again, Hunter Biden is a sleazy grifter who traded on his family name. And But at, at some point in time, don't we need to move forward? Now, I'm hearing from a lot of people who are saying, no, that the Democrats, they went after Trump and this and that and the other thing. And now that the Republicans have control, we, we've got to go after Hunter Biden. Well, I guess don't you? My point is, at some point in time, you, you just you, you just spend all your energy doing this. And you think, well, I don't think Trump was treated fairly by this committee or whatever. I don't think they should have had a basis for impeaching him. This was just a political thing. Now we need to do it at some point in time. Don't we need to move forward? And if there's evidence that's out there, and of course it, it hasn't been found, two Senate committees looked at this. If there's evidence that have been found that Joe Biden, for example, was involved in getting kickbacks or something like that, and, and I don't think there's any evidence that suggests that, but if, if that was the case, then, you know, okay, maybe then you need a special prosecutor. Maybe then you need the, you know, the Department of Justice to do the investigations or, or or the local prosecutors or whatever. But do we really want to spend the next two years with another one of these sort of partisan committees that go in, again, trying to roil up their base? Or do we want people to just try to get stuff done? John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, we need to just move on. You know, whoever stole what or did this or did that, you're going to go after Hunter Biden for a thousand years and squeeze out attachment. Then you might as well go after Trump's kids, too, and just find out what all the kids have done, you know. I mean, just leave it alone and move on, man. I mean, other countries are laughing at us. You know, I, I, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I, I think I'm pretty much smarter than these people that's running this country. Because we're going nowhere. Well, we're right. Going backwards. We're wasting money, you know, money. I wish I had a third of that money. Well, right. And thanks for your, John. See, I guess that we're, we're going nowhere. Okay, so what's, let's let's kind of play this out. You've already had two Senate committees that have, you know, conducted investigations into Hunter Biden. The Department of Justice is apparently looking at into this as well. And, and there hasn't been any sort of finding that there's a basis for, for collusion or for corruption or for paybacks or whatever. And, and you've got an election coming up in, in two years. So do we really want to spend the, do we really want to spend the next year saying, okay, you know, what, what happened back in 2014 or what happened back in 2017? Or do we want to take this limited amount of time that you, you have? And do we want to try to, 
I don't know, do things for the American people, whatever they are. And I understand there's people out there that, that want the payback. They, they want the retaliation. We don't like that the Democrats did this, and we don't like that Adam Schiff did that or whatever. And so we're this is what we're going to do. We're going to get even, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just where does this where does this end up getting us? And do you really want to spend the next couple of years doing that? And, and to what is the what is the end game uh, about this? You know, so you, you investigate Hunter Biden. What more are we going to learn other than the fact that the guy is a sleazy grifter who was trading on his dad's name to try to enrich himself? You don't know what he was doing to get all these payoffs and stuff. Why? Well, he was just the, they were hoping that there would be some degree of influence peddling that would be going on there. But it's not like Joe Biden was taking the kickbacks and things like that. I guess I just I'm, I'm I will be honest with you. I am worn out by this this constant state of chaos that we have been in over the course of the last four or five or six years, whether it's the Hillary Clinton email investigation or the constant investigations of Donald Trump or this Hunter Biden thing. At some point in time, I don't know. I, I understand that payback can be a you know what. But at some point in time, don't we just have to figure out let's let's figure out what the greater good of the country is and you know let's the american voters are going to be able to make a decision on joe biden if he runs again in 2 years do we want to spend the next year trying to again verify what we already know which is the kid is a grifter just saying Alex Crow, my favorite pre-Thanksgiving text of the day. Okay. Okay, so I've, I've been spending the last 30 minutes, and, and my basic premise is Joe Biden's kid is a grifter, probably a crook, definitely a sleazebag, but I, I just don't see any I, – I don't want to spend the next two years wrapped up in, in investigation after investigation sure. after – Then okay, so that, that's just my take, and you can agree or disagree. Here's my text. Wow, you really lost me. I've listened to you for 25 years. I'm done. Okay. To which my response was, because I think it's a waste of spirit to go after Hunter Biden. Okay. Sorry to hear that, but I guess we'll have to just soldier on. That's it because, you know, I, I want to, like, deal with the problems of the country and <laughs> I, I want to, like, let's talk about taxes and let's talk about all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I in any event. So that's, just, just just remember that when you move on to different roles and stuff. That there's people I've listened to you for 25 years, and I'm I'm done. Something <laughs> tells me they're not done. I think they'll still be back for a little more Wagner. I don't you, know. You never. Well, you, you that that's always well and good. You you, you you get these texts all the time that say, okay, and from all sides, I can't stand. We call them. The, the I hate you every day, folks. Mm. You know, these are the people that send you the text. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I never listening again. And then two days later, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> and you know, and you want to say, well, didn't you say you were still listening and stuff? So in any event, that's the life of a radio talk show host. Yeah. So, shout out to the people that are uh, that are not sending in the mean texts. At no, least. no, no I don't mind mean. And I actually I don't mind mean texts. That it, it kind of comes with the territory. <laughs> I'm just I just kind of like roll my eyes and think, OK, you've been listening to your show for 25 years and, and that's. That's what puts you over the edge. Straw that broke the camel's back, Okay, well, I guess. Hey, Alex, do you know what's happening on Monday evening? I bet you do. Are you giving me a a chance to guess there? I'm just going to say the WTMJ, uh, the show, the holiday show. Look at the big brain on Alex Crow. (laughs) That is correct. 
Tickets are going fast. Um, the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show is back. Join your favorite WTMJ hosts and personalities as well, including those that you'd like hate to listen to every day, um, as well as some <laughs> of the special guests. And in, tonight, uh, this year's show, it's actually, I, we did the table reading on Monday, and it's I think it's one of the best ones in years. I, I really do. And I don't say that just because... I have a big role in this, and I'm, I'm the narrator and stuff. But no, but it, it's 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 funny, um, and I think it's going to be really enjoyable. We're doing it at the Fister Hotel. It's next Monday, November 28th. A portion of the proceeds go to the Capco Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. It is at the Fister, and I know sometimes people are reluctant. Oh, I don't know if I want to drive to downtown Milwaukee. Well, okay, parking is included in the cost of the ticket. You park right at the Fister in their um, lot. So it, it's going to be taken care of. Tickets are on sale now. So how do you get them? Well, okay, we've got an answer to that. All you have to do is go to our website, WTMJ.com. They're 30 bucks a piece. Um, WTMJ.com, you can purchase the tickets. The, the show, I think, doors open at 5.30. The show starts at 6.30, and it's done by 8 o'clock. So it's not... It's not like you're going to be like my example was you go to the Brewers game and it's the fourth inning and you've been there for three hours. No, this is not it. We know how long the thing is going to last. And we always make a point of coming out and saying hi and things like that. And uh, the real star of the Wagner family, my wife, Fran, she's going to be there and we're going to come out and say hi to people. So um should be a lot of fun. So that's your right. The WTMJ holiday show this Monday. People get tickets. WTMJ.com. And we hope to see everybody there. And like you said yesterday, Fran's already got her ticket. It's going to be a party. So the Wagner crew is already Fran to go. Has got her ticket and yes it, it is going to be a party people come out and say so that's what fran looks like if, <laughs> although more people know her than know me that's just kind of the reality but we are very much looking forward to it the weather looks like it's going to be good and again parking uh, parking is included in the cost of the ticket and it's right in the fister parking structure so you don't have to worry about that we hope to see lots and lots of people there so look at the big brain on alex crow <laughs> he got it all right we're going to kind of switch gears lighten it up a little bit as we get ready to get into thanksgiving well, maybe lighten it up a little bit All right, everybody I think knows what ghosting is, but how about how about pocketing and how about hardballing? I will explain, we will discuss. You don't want to miss this next segment because it'll give you something to talk about at Thanksgiving tomorrow with your relatives, I guarantee it. I am so glad. That I am not in the dating scene. I, I just, you know, I'm just so glad of, of, of that. And I was, I mean, I think people know my story. I mean, I, um, my, my, my late wife, we got together. We were in law school together. And then um, after she passed away about six years ago, I, I just, I, I've been blessed that I, you know, uh, my, my current wife, Fran, we had known each other. She had known my wife, Sue, and I, and we were, we'd known each other for years. And, and I just, we were at the right point in time in our life. And I'm just so very lucky because she makes me a better person every day, which is, is about all you can ask for. So I'm just very, very glad that I'm not in, in the dating scene, regardless of what the age is, because it's kind of brutal out there. You know, you, everybody has probably heard about ghosting. You know, ghosting is where, you just kind of disappear. You know, you've, you've had a relationship with somebody and maybe you've been exchanging emails and you've gone out on dates and it's, it, ghosting has always existed, but now it's, I think, more intense because with social media, there's all the different contacts. It used to be that maybe, you know, you, you just, you wouldn't call and now it's, you don't call, you don't return emails, you don't respond to texts, you just kind of disappear. So that, that, that's ghosting. Then there's something called, Pocketing. See, we, we, we live in this world nowadays where 
everybody, you know, we every we have to have terms for everything. Charlie, producing the show today and always. Do you know what pocketing is? In a dating sense, no. Okay. All right. Okay. No, fair enough. Well, I, I didn't either. So th- this is one of the reasons why I love this job because it, it it's intellectually stimulating and it keeps me young because I, I see these terms. I go, huh. The, the headline says, why won't your partner um, celebrate your relationship? It's called pocketing. And I'm going, pocketing. Okay. So here's what pocketing means. Pocketing means you're, you're dating somebody, but they don't want to... They they don't want to take you out in public. Essentially, they they don't want to introduce you to their friends. They don't want to show off you off to their their partners and it, into your to their to their parents. You know, it's kind of like Thanksgiving is coming up. You've been dating somebody for you know a few months. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Well, I'm going to my parents. How about you? Well, I don't really have any plans. You, you don't invite them to Thanksgiving. You know that that would be pocketing. You know you don't you don't you don't want to take them out. And show them your friends. You don't want to take them to meet your parents, or you know, have you're putting them in your your pocket. Okay, so pocketing that's that's probably not necessarily good because there's got to be some reason why you're reluctant to, you know, introduce. <laughs> now maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's maybe it has nothing to do with your partner um, or your date. Maybe it has everything to do with your parents or your friends or whatever. No, I don't want to show her my buddies and stuff. But okay, but regardless, pocketing can be an issue. But then there's something else: hardballing. You know what hardballing is? Now be careful here. Oh. You know what hardballing is? The only hardballing I know is the kind in like haggling. So okay, no, we're not like, haggling partners here. Well, okay, no, right. Hardballing is the term, and this is what I want to discuss with you. All right, hardballing. It, it, it actually, you know, it, it's kind of like the phrase, "Hey, I'm playing hardball here." You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm down to business. Hardballing is also called dating with intention. Dating with intention, and if you're if you're into hardballing. What you are doing is you encouraging people to be upfront about their romantic goals from the very first interaction. If you're looking for a serious relationship, say it on the first date. If you're not looking to have kids, say that early on. The point is to be straightforward. And it emphasizes the importance of being honest about your relationship goals. And it says you do this on the first date. Does the person you see see marriage in the future? Do they prefer an open relationship? Get the vagueness out of the way. Create clarity. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. And this is, this is one of the, th- the conversations for Thanksgiving, because I've been playing this out in my mind since I stumbled on all this, and I'm trying to imagine what happens. You get fixed up on a blind date or, or, or you meet somebody, you know, through a dating service, or a friend of a friend hooks you up, or it's somebody you've casually known and you ask them out, and you sit down and, and you go to the coffee shop, or you, you go, you know, to the movie or whatever, and you sit down for the pizza afterwards, and you, you just start to, to talk a little bit, and the person that's across the table from you says, you want to get married? I, I want, I, I want to know what, what are your, what are your goals? Do you want to get married? What do you think? You know, do you want to do you want to have kids? Have, have you thought about do you want to have kids? C- can you imagine this on on like this this first date? And the idea is this is supposed to be good and it's supposed to add clarity to this and you you don't want to I guess you don't want to waste your time 
with somebody that if your goal is to to get married, you know, you don't want to waste your time having a second or a third or a fourth date on somebody who's not looking to get married. What would be your reaction if the person you're out on this date with decides to play hardball with you and ask you on the first date what your long-term relationship goals are? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. All right. Is is this a good relationship thing? I mean, breaking the ice by going, hey, you know, what what are your plans? Do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, uh, I have been out of the dating situation for quite a while, but if I had a first date like that, I'd be, uh, you know, this dude or this gal is pretty heavy duty, and I'm not, uh, I'm not pursuing this anymore. Yeah, yeah I'm I want just... to have fun on the first date and go, you know, go from there after a while. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just kind of a, of a, of a cultural sort of thing. But normally, you, you get to, to know people. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to imagine my the, the reaction that people would have if you you just sort of casually know somebody and they sit down and they say, boy, you know, I just, I, I. I want to get married. You know, what, 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 are you, what are you thinking about getting married? And I'm, I think my reaction would be, I'm not thinking about that right now. Why don't we, why don't we you know, see if we want to, what kind of pizza do you want, hon, you know, before we decide whether we're going to get married? Uh, what kind of, what, you know, let's see how we hit it off and then uh, go from there. You talk about marriage like months later or whatever. Or, or, or years or whatever, years later, thank, whatever. I mean, or I'm trying to imagine, I mean, I'm trying to imagine if I was 24 years old, okay, and I'm kind of starting out my career as a lawyer or something, and somebody says, yeah, you should go, this is somebody, you know, this is somebody you should meet or whatever, and you go and you sit down, and again, you're having the pizza and a beer, and you've seen a movie or something, and somebody would say, well, what do you think about children? <laughs> what? You know, okay, I'm I'm not thinking about children right now. I'm thinking about what toppings we should get on the pizza. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. This is apparently one of the big relationship things that at least some people are encouraged Go hardball. Just, you know, make your intentions clear at from the beginning, including maybe the first date. Is this a recipe for success? We continue the conversation in just a moment. Now, now see, I, I mean, I understand, on, like on a first date or a second date, there's nothing wrong with asking questions to find out if you have similar likes or dislikes. Hey, hey, do you like sports? Do you like to go to basketball games? You know, what What do you, what do, you do for fun? You know, where, where do you like to go on vacation? Things like that. I, I'm just saying that if, if somebody on a first date would sit and say, okay, I, I want to know what your serious long-term relationship goals are. Do you want children? How many children do you want? You know, do, do you want to get married? I mean, I think at, at some point in time, I think the general reaction, at least for me, would be, let's take this a little bit slower here. I, I just, I want to figure out, do you want dessert? I mean, that, that's the question, or do you want a second drink or whatever? 855-616-1620. They call it hardballing. Jeff, I think it's totally appropriate. Why waste your time with someone who doesn't want what you want in life? Well, I, I don't, I don't know that it's, I mean, I appreciate at some point in time, that that's a fair conversation, but do you have to have everything in that 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 first? Hey, we're, let's go out for coffee. Hey, do you want to get married? How many kids do you want? You know where do you do you want to live in the suburbs? Do you want to live downtown? I just I, to me that would be a little bit freaky. Um, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to. Let's see, Sam in Milwaukee. Sam, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, 
good afternoon. Okay, hardballing. What do you think? I am a fan of hardballing. Okay. <laughs> I would say I'm, I'm 32 years old, so for me, I'm at an age where I know what I want. And those tough questions of marriage, I think maybe a little bit later, but the children one is a huge one, for me at least. I think about, hey, do you want kids on the first date? Um, because I am a solid no. If you are a maybe or yes, then I don't want to go on a second date or a third date to waste your time or my time. So I think there's a little bit of time emphasis in there as well. Well, I, I guess, I mean, the, the thing is, when you, when you say waste your time, at, at some point in time, that don't, don't these things have to kind of develop or, organically? I mean, you know, first of all, I mean, before you start thinking of having kids with somebody, don't you want to find out if you, if you like them, if you have any sort of common interests and things like that? I mean, I guess, you know, don't you need a few dates before you even start to think about whether or not I want this person to be the father of my children or not? I guess maybe if a lot of times nowadays, at least for me, I've done a lot of online dating. So all of yeah. those questions of, you know, where, what's your favorite color? What do you like to do for fun? Those come before you even really meet the first date. Uh-huh. Um, and for me, if, if, if I, I actually asked my boyfriend that on the first date, and he was like, hell no. <laughs> and I said, finally, I've met someone who's on the same page as me. It's just really about being on the same page more than anything right. else. I was in a past relationship where the guy was hoping I would change my mind. But I'm right. so solid in that I do not want kids, whether, right. you know, after six years I find you you're beautiful or not. You, um, you think that might scare some people off, e- even people who might, uh, well, and you're, you're not talking about necessarily the marriage question, but well, I, I don't know. Do you, do you think maybe that kind of scares some people off? You know, you're, you're, you're 15 or 20 minutes into the conversation, and how do you feel about children? <laughs> because I, I don't know, if somebody asked me that when I was a lot younger, it might be, huh, why are we having this conversation? Mm-hmm. I would say maybe if I was in my 20s asking that question, probably a little presumptuous, um, but for me, yeah. it's, it's not a weird question. I, I've, I've done some dating online in the last couple of years, right. and that is a question I ask. And most guys aren't afraid to answer either, which is surprising. Usually they're like, yeah, maybe one or two, or I'm not sure right now, maybe down the road. Yeah. It's just to kind of really put feelers out where they're at. Okay, well, they, they, I guess, I mean, it, look, I appreciate it. It's a different world. Here's one of our texters, Jeff. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. When my husband and I started dating, I had just gone through a divorce. I did not ever want to get married again, and I already had two kids. 27 years later, married with a total of four kids and two grandchildren. Um, I guess it, there's there's always this, this issue here, and a couple people are using the reference. It, it kind of sounds like it's almost like a job interview in, in some respects, you know? And, and again, I, I think you want to get to know people, and it, and, and part of it might depend on, I mean, obviously, as you get to know somebody, you want to find out if you're compatible. You want to find out if, hey, these are the things that are important to me. Would you would you be interested in that type of stuff? I'm just saying that in the first date or two, especially, uh, you know, especially if you don't know each other and you're kind of strangers, just to kind of drop this. Well, what do you think about getting married? And, and what do you think about a spring wedding and stuff like that? I just I don't know. I think maybe it's I I think it would be off putting. But I guess. This, in some cases, is the new reality. Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Um, just in the idea that a lot of my first dates, you know, we talk about, you know, plans. Where do you see yourself in five years, ten years, whatever? Do you think you're going to get married at some point? 
what do you think about kids? Now, the older I get, the more that that has changed, you know, where I'm like, I don't need another one of me running around. <laughs> um, you know, having that conversation, the first date, fine. It gets it out of the way. Okay. I'm an open communicator about anything. So it's like, okay, all that's fine. Now, once we've been on five, six dates, whatever, looks like it's getting serious. And I go and meet her parents and her dad asked me, you know, so do you think you're going to marry my daughter? Do you think you want kids? That's when all of a sudden I go, danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Yeah, right head out the and door. No, I'm I, like, okay. No, now I, I'm like, you know, must get away. Got but it. Otherwise, you know, it's like, hey, if you know where you stand all the time, and like I said, you can you have the open communication, you can solve any problem you have. You can have no arguments. Well, there you go. Yeah, no, thanks. See, Danny, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not against. I mean, the obvious, the open communication and these discussions and stuff. I'm, I'm just talking about this is this trend that says that you do it on the first date. That that's all. I mean, as opposed to just kind of easing into this. And maybe for me, it's kind of like let let's let's try to find out before we deal with the the, the, the M question, the marriage question. Let's find out if if we even like each other. And maybe that takes a couple dates. Jeff, I'm currently 55. I started dating online at 50. Met a woman, and she told me on the second date she only wanted to date if marriage was in the future. I said, whoa, whoa. I already vowed to myself to never get married again. Divorce was just too hard. But I suppose if I met the most awesome woman ever, I would do it. Um, That worked to put her off for a while. Long story short, I've been married to her for three and a half years, and we are having a ball together. So that's a great story. It ends ends well. But um, if you're looking for something to talk about over uh, over the Thanksgiving table tomorrow, and you've decided that you're not going to pocket your your significant other and you're going to actually invite them to like Thanksgiving dinner, uh, just tell dad and mom to go ahead and ask, hey, what are your intentions towards my daughter? You want to get married? You want to have kids? How many? Where are you going to live? How are you going to support them? I don't know. They call it hardballing. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. One more hour to go before we turn it over to Wisconsin's afternoon news to help lead you into your Thanksgiving day. Hey, I, I have a comment about something that Alex was, was talking about during the news, and it's actually a follow-up to something that I was mentioning earlier in the program. You know, last week you had the, this shooting at the, the the drag show in the the gay nightclub in Colorado Springs. And I guess I, I throw this out as a cautionary note to people in in the media, because a lot of times there are assumptions that are made and they're made because, you know, people have political agendas or perspectives or whatever, and they think that stuff might be the case and it might turn out not to be. And I guess what I've learned over time in doing this long enough is that maybe sometimes it's better rather than just a jumping to speculation. It's 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 better to just wait till till, you know, now the, the, the shooting and it doesn't. Whatever the motive was doesn't change the fact that you have, you know, five people dead and you have 19 people that are are wounded. So it it doesn't change that dynamic. But for the last several days in one of the themes, especially like on the MSNBCs of the world and things like that, is has been the shooter at the gay nightclub at the drag show must have been some radicalized, hardcore conservative, you know, neo-Nazi, whatever, who stormed in there with this hatred of gay people, and that's what this was all about. Now, that might turn out to be the case, 
But that's sort of been the media narrative. Well, okay, the the, the new development today, and, and Alex was just talking about this, is that in the filing that the defense attorneys for the, the shooter have filed, you know, they say their client is non-binary and uses, isn't he, she, uses terms like they or them, which raises the question of, Okay, was this somebody who was familiar with the club? Was this somebody who patronized that club? You know, was this somebody who was part of the community? Now, we don't know those answers. And and again, it doesn't change the fact that you've got this horrible shooting and you have five people dead and 19 more people wounded. But I, I just I've been watching for a week with people like assuming what the motive are is. You know, why was it that this person went into the club and started at shooting? And again, one one of the prevailing narratives has been, well, it must have been somebody who, you know, hated, you know, the LGBTQ community and things like that. And and I just haven't heard I hadn't heard any evidence necessarily to support that. That might still well be the case, but it's just kind of a cautionary tale that maybe before you want to, you know, jump and assume whatever a person's motive were, you might want to just wait a beat or two and, and find out. And again, the, whatever the motive was, it doesn't change the fact that you have this horrible shooting, but it's, it might not fit neatly into the narrative that people want to put out. Just kind of a cautionary note on that. All right. Another quick reminder. Holiday radio show coming up on Monday. Doors open around 5.30 at the Fister Hotel, the Grand Ballroom, and we're, we're really looking to pack the place. If you want to pick up tickets, you go to WTMJ.com, and all you have to do is click on the banner that we have there. This year, the WTMJ players are putting on a, Chris, a WTMJ Christmas tale, and it's kind of a it's a takeoff on a familiar sort of story. I happen to be the narrator. We did the run-through on Monday, and it's really pretty funny. And if you've attended one of these events in the past, you know, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's just, it is a fun evening. I haven't had anybody that's attended one of the events who hasn't walked away saying, that was that was a, that was a pretty good and enjoyable time. And you get to get together with the WTMJ personalities. We're going to have a lot of special guests, as we always do. And again, it's at the Fister in the Grand Ballroom. Parking is included in the price of the ticket, so you don't have to worry about, gee, where am I going to park and how close is it going to be? You're going to be parking right in the Fister parking ramp, right in the Fister parking garage. It could not be easier. portion of the proceeds go to Kids to Kids Christmas. Like I said, I think this is the sixth year we've done it, and I think this is, just looking at the script, I think this is... I, I don't want to downplay any of the ones we've had in the past, but this this kind of harkens back to the first couple we did when we did our, our version of A Christmas Carol and our version of It's a Wonderful Life. This is kind of in that same sort of vein, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Weather looks like it's going to be very, very decent. So you've still got time. We really want to pack the room. So just go to WTMJ.com. And you can get tickets. They email you the ticket. You're all set. Could not be easier. And we want to see everybody there on Monday evening. Okay, so in the last segment of the program, we were talking about the conversation at, at, at dinner on Thanksgiving. And actually, tonight, I'm going to a party with lots of family and friends. And I'm going to be with my niece, who's in her second year of law school, and my friend's granddaughter, who's back from uh, college, she went and picked her up at the bus station yesterday, and I'm going <laughs> to ask her some of those questions about the whole, yeah, what do you think about going out on that first date and somebody asks you about what are your intentions? Do you want to have kids? Do you want to get married? Might, that, that might be one of our Thanksgiving conversations. All right, so here's another one. The, um, there are two types of people in the world. 
there are huggers and there are non-huggers. And, and you, you know whether you're one of those types of people or, or not. Now, because of the pandemic, you know, remember we went through this period of time where people did not shake hands. You know, the idea was we, we cannot have human contact, and the chances are, you know, if you've got COVID, you know, you, you might have something on your hands, and you might spread it when you shake somebody else's hand, and then they might get it, and they might die. So that was it. So there was a period of time where we stopped shaking hands. Now, I understand that there may be some people who, who still don't shake hands, and, and that, that's fine, but in general, I'm over that. When I meet new people, like today we had— some folks who were, some folks who were, um, we had our, our dryer vent cleaned. That, that's the exciting life that I had. But we wanted to get the dryer vent cleaned. So, you know, the two guys that came out to do that, Joe and Joe, great, great guys. And, you know, they, one of them was a listener of the program and we shook hands and stuff, didn't think anything of it. So, I mean, I'm back to shaking hands. Now, if somebody pulls away or wants to do a fist bump or something, that's okay. I don't, be, I'm not judgmental, but I'm back to, to shaking hands. So this Thanksgiving, the question is hugging. Are we hugging again now? Big story in the Los Angeles Times about whether or not we're, we're past the pandemic to the stage that if, you know, you, you go to the, the Thanksgiving dinner and it, it's, or, or the Thanksgiving party or whatever, or, you know, you're meeting your friends who are back in town or whatever, and if you were a hugger in the past, you know, are you a hugger now? Are we back to hugging? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, I've, I've confessed to this before. For most of my life, I have not been a hugger. But, all right, my, my current set of friends um, through, through my wife, well, they're huggers. Most of these people are, are, are huggers, especially when you, you, know, you meet the, the women. The guys, we don't, the guys don't necessarily hug. We're, we're handshakers. But, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll see people that we haven't seen for a while, and we hug. And I have just, I have gradually, I have become a hugger, and I am now back to hugging. I mean, you know, especially if, if the person I'm seeing, you know, initiates it. So here is my question. Have we, now the, the president says we, we can't make people pay off student loans because we've still got this national emergency going on, the national emergency being COVID. All right. Are you comfortable hugging people in public, and I don't mean strangers. You know what I mean. You go to the Thanksgiving party. It's your, you know, your, you're there. Your cousins are there. Your niece, your nephew is there. Your in-laws are there. Are you comfortable hugging? Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I say this because, like I said, I'm going to a party tonight, and I'm going to a Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow, and I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of hugging there. How about at your event? We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six. 1620 855-616-1620 which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right. If you are if you are socializing with, you know, family and friends over the course of the next couple of days, you know, you're you're going to be confronted with this. You know, we were told during COVID that we're not supposed to hug because you know, we might pass those germs on. Well, all right, I think hugging is back in, in a big way. Now, I'm not talking about creepy kind of hugging, you know, the kind where you grab somebody and hold on way too long, but I'm, I'm talking about the situation where 
you see the friends and, you know, typically you're huggers and you do it. And I, I admit, I, I, most of my life I was not a hugger. I have become one, and I suspect that there's going to be a lot of hugs over the course of the next uh, day or so. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I've been hugging and shaking hands with family and friends for over a year now. I have no problem with that. Jeff, I never stopped hugging or shaking hands despite the experts forbidding it. Jeff, you bet we're huggers. It never stopped. I never bought the whole COVID thing, which was, I think, absolute craziness. There's some reason they wanted to shut the economy down and they did a good job, but they were never going to shut me down. Jeff, I'm a high school swimming and diving coach. I have a shirt that says, have you hugged your diving coach today? All right, there you go. Jeff, I never stopped shaking hands or hugging. The whole concept that healthy people couldn't do these things the past two years to me was, and I think still is, ridiculous. Jeff, I'm back to shaking hands and I love it, but I'm much more aware of washing my hands than I used to be, and I'm good with hugging as well, mostly because I'm four times vaccinated. Yeah, that's that's it. Now, I, I do... You know, this is, I mean, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer on this, but um, there's a story Washington Post has it today that vaccinated people now make up a majority of COVID deaths. 58% of coronavirus deaths in August were people who were vaccinated or boosted, according to this health analysis from the Kaiser Family Foundation. It's a continuation of a troubling trend that has emerged over the past year. As vaccination rates have increased and new variants have appeared, the share of deaths of people who were vaccinated have been steadily rising. In September of 2021, vaccinated people made up just 23% of coronavirus fatalities. In January and February this year, it was up to 42%. We can no longer say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now, having said that, I, as somebody who's had various boosters and stuff, I, I still believe that you know your, your chances of having long-term problems from COVID are much less if you're vaccinated than otherwise. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm still a hugger. Um, however, I am a little bit of a reluctant hugger in some cases because of COVID, etc. I feel, though, that hugging def- defines part of who I am, so I will still hug. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeff, I just saw a guy I worked with 16 years ago when he was in high school. He put his hand out, and I said, no way, fella. I just hugged him. There you go. Jeff, hugs and a big old kiss on the lips. Well, <laughs> my my advice would be, you know, <laughs> my advice would be I'd be careful about who you'd give a hug and a big old kiss on the lips for, but I get the general idea. Jeff, I never stopped hugging. The handshaking I thought was dumb since this is an airborne virus. So you got a lot of that stuff that's... um there. Um, Jeff, you're in the same room, you're eating together, you're doing the dishes. You bet I'm hugging those people. You know, no question about it. So I think this is, I and a couple of people want to like go down the, the COVID route and, and whether you choose to get vaccinated or not, that's, I, I'm vaccinated multiple times and that, that's just a different individual decision. I'm just back about getting back to normal life. And, and I will tell you, I mean, look, there was a time that I appreciated that people were uncomfortable shaking hands. I wasn't, but I appreciated that a lot of other people were. So you know, live and learn. Don't want to make people uncomfortable. But now I'm pretty much fully back to shaking hands. When I meet somebody for the first time, you know, I'll extend my hand. Now, if if they if, if they want to give me the fist bump or something like that, I'm cool with that. But I'll, I'll extend my hand. And when it comes to those people that I would ordinarily hug or that want to give me a big old hug, well, I'm down with that, and I'll be down with that this Thanksgiving.
had to let that roll a little bit. You know, that's kind of our like sort of upbeat bumper music. Jeff, my husband's son and I are big family huggers. Our daughter-in-law is not a hugger and will never hug us. It's very awkward. However, we respect her choice. Yeah, that's kind of the thing that's out there. Hey, as long as we're talking about the coronavirus, don't know if you saw that um, Anthony Fauci, he, he's, he's pulling the plug. Yesterday was, at the age of 81, yesterday was his final um, update from the White House, served under seven presidents. Um, he was at the White House podium. He's retiring at the end of the year, stepping down as the uh, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He's, of course, become controversial over the last couple years. I, I think the Fauci legacy to me is 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 mixed. I don't think he's the villain that some people have made him out to be. At the same time, I think I think he fell in love with the publicity. I think he was very, very overexposed. And I think he he hurt he hurt the communication by by saying by by going on television as much as he did and going on radio as much as he did and giving as many interviews as he did where you know he'd say one thing one day and something else the the day after that and I, I think he did a disservice I think by by being so available and I think if he had been a little bit more circumspect you we wouldn't have gotten some of the mixed messages that we end up getting but I certainly don't think he's a villain and at the age of 81 kind of wish him well as he moves on to the next phase of his life uh, I'll, I'll tell you what Jeff I know what I'm going to remember and that is the first pitch that he threw out at the Nationals game right after all the COVID stuff happened we thought the baseball season be canceled it was shortened right he was like you're right he did love the media I'm going to get to throw out the first pitch awful first pitch practice a little bit if you're going out there with that big of a stage it it it, it, it hit the ground and rolled over okay. to the catcher see it is funny <laughs> that you say that alex crow because there were a few years ago a couple years ago we did this deal at it was like they had 620 wtmj night at, mm-hmm. at, the, at the brewers yeah. game and it was like three or four three four five six years ago whatever and um we gene miller and i and john mccure we all mm-hmm. went out to throw out the first pitch Right. And we were going to do it each we each were going to throw it. it was going to be like simultaneous. But you got the crowd that's there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I practice. Matter of fact, I oh, I, 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 oh there, there's no question. I had my, my <laughs> nephew came out. We played catch. And, and I actually I went and found a I threw I, I'd done this once before um, when the, the Lakeshore Chinooks first okay. came in. I, I threw out a, a pitch for mm-hmm. them. But I, it was, I was on a mound. And the pitch, I got it there, but I was a little bit inside. If there mm-hmm. had been a batter there, I would have hit him. And I felt bad about it. But it was, it was, it's different throwing from a mound than it is throwing from the ground. So what I did in advance before we, we did this, you're, you're darn right. I went out and found, I found a baseball field and just like an elevated thing because I, I the last thing I wanted to do is, is bounce it. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I went out there, and I'm very proud of the fact that, matter of fact, I— Oh gosh, I forget the name of the guy who was the catcher. He was like some. He was like one of the backup infielders or something. Okay. who's long gone. But I mean, I threw the ball, and he came up to me afterwards and said, "You hit the mitt." And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, you're darn right, I hit the mitt. I I, I practiced doing that." But yes, you're. I, I would have. That's just an aside. But yeah, you're going to practice. I don't want to. I don't want to bounce it. You know. Yeah. Then you never hear the end of it. And now here I am with Fauci's entire legacy, good and bad, <laughs> rolled in, and all I can think of is the first pitch he threw out. <laughs> it's, but I, I mean, he, again, I, I just, um, I just, I think he would have been better off if he just would have said no from time to time. Because what what ended up happening this is what happens is you go, and I understand science changes, but it doesn't change every day or so. He would somebody would ask him a question, and he would give answers that are 
are arguably like inconsistent with what they said two days ago. And then you had all the people who were his detractors and they were ready to pounce. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I, I always say this, and some of my friends who do what you do for a living, you know, always cringe. I said, just because... Just because the reporter calls you up doesn't mean you have to talk to him. No, you know, I mean, it's serious, because it, sometimes it's it's not the best decision mm-hmm. to make. And I think Fauci would have been more persuasive if, instead of doing every interview, he did every four or five interviews. <laughs> That's just me. Alex, you are right. It was I, a bad pitch. I, I, I just, I went back and I looked at the, I'm watching it now. So he's at the Nationals game. He walks out. He's in a National jersey. He's wearing his, like, red Nationals mask. Yeah. He goes up to the, the mound. I, I, that might be the, the worst opening. That might be the worst first pitch I think I have ever seen. We're I talking just, about Dr. Uh, Fauci throwing out the first pitch at opening day a couple of years ago. Ooh, I mean, I, that's awful. I, I had the same thought you did when uh, when he was doing all these media rounds, right? This guy's never seen a camera that he didn't like. He was he was so internationally known. So I thought he was going to do a lot of heavy preparation for this because we all knew who he was at this point. But uh, I distinctly remember that first pitch did not go the way that Dr. Fauci wanted it to. To describe this, he's standing on, <laughs> on the mound. The catcher is behind the plate. He goes, and I'm just kind of looking at this now. He goes into the wind-up and the the ball goes about 15 or 20 feet in the air before and of course the the, the base you know it's like 60 <laughs> feet so so and but it goes off at a 45 degree angle yeah. it it's almost closer to first base than it is to, to home plate <laughs> Wow. I'm telling you, I don't know why some things stick out in my mind, but when I heard he was retiring, I was like, remember that first pitch that he threw out when we all thought sports were going to be canceled and he was the one who got to throw it out? And man, just talk about... That's his legacy. <laughs> At least for me. <laughs> that's, 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 that's his legacy. Now, other people are like sending in other like, worst pitches. Right, there, there's, there's some bad ones out there. And, and, and maybe we'll devote a topic to that. Or, but but, this, but I will, will say the Fauci one is up there. I hadn't thought of that. But I, yeah. I still like the idea of you going out and finding some raised dirt so you can I, get oh, a couple off before well, well, uh, your, I did. Like I said, I mean, that's an honest to God thing because I, I threw out the first pitch at the Chinooks game and I, 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 had, I practiced mm-hmm. that. And I wanted to make sure I could get the ball all, all the way there, and, but I, I hadn't taken into account the fact that there was the mound. So the, the again, the ball was inside. It was it ended up in the if you were right hand batter, it was in the right hand batter's box. And I didn't want to do that in at um, yeah, it was at, at, at the, then it was Miller Park. Yeah. I didn't want to do that on the big jumbotron <laughs> with all these friends and stuff in the stand. I did not want to be that guy. So yeah, I worked on it. Friends and listeners, because it was WTMJ oh, night. There right. were some there who would love to see you airmail a pitch and oh, let you know about it the well, next well, day. Well, right. Airmailing it, right. Airmailing it, right. I'm not even sure what's worse. Airmailing it would have been one thing. Maybe it's, it's. I think the worst thing might have been like not getting yeah. it there. You, oh, know, yeah. you, you know, you get it about halfway there. Airmailing, you can, you can say you put too much on if you don't get enough to even get it there, you're going to have to face threw, the music. I threw a strike, and as, <laughs> as the guy who caught it, he came out, you hit the bit. He sounded surprised because maybe a lot of people don't, but I said, yeah, I practiced. So that's it. <laughs> All right. The final Jeopardy answer is tonight. Tonight. When we come back, I will give you the question and then pose my own question. Stick around. Everybody go to dance tonight. You all make me laugh. I, I've been getting swamped with people sending me, you got to look at this first pitch or that first pitch. And uh, Snoop Dogg, you know, he, he, he's he got one. He, he um, His first pitch, 
was at a Padres game, and it was it was wide right. It was kind of like my f- pitch at the at the Chinooks game, but it, w- it was way worse. He he was he was way to the right, but he got the ball there. Then the fifty cent the the rapper. About eight years ago, he threw out the first pitch at uh, at a Mets game, and, and he his is very Fauci like. Let me put it like that. It was it was he, he kind of bounced one bad. I'm just saying you got to got to prepare yourself. Okay, the final Jeopardy answer is tonight. Okay, what is what is the question? Well, the question is what is known as Blackout Wednesday. When is Blackout Wednesday? Okay, Blackout Wednesday is tonight. What does Blackout Wednesday mean? Well, it refers to binge drinking on the night before the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, The thinking is very few people work tomorrow. Most college students are home with their families on the Thanksgiving holidays, which means that high school friends have an opportunity to catch up at local taverns as they converge on their hometown. And blacking out is the slang term, of course, for, I know, people who pass out because they're drinking too much, which is something we do not encourage here. And it's something that, by the way, this isn't a novel concept. Trust me when I tell you that law enforcement agencies all over the area the state and the country, they're familiar with the concept of Blackout Wednesday. And so if you're thinking of overindulging, um, my advice to you, free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here, would be don't do it because you, you don't you, you don't want to come home on vacation and go back to school on probation. You just don't want to end up doing that. And there is a very decent chance that that could happen if you overindulge. But I thought we would have a little bit of fun in this segment, the few, few minutes that are remaining to us. So, okay, so tonight is the night where a lot of people are, are going to get together. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to my my stepdaughter and my son-in-law's house, and they have a they have an old-fashioned Thanksgiving where they have like an open house and they serve thank, they serve old fashions and things like that. But I know for many people, because this used to be when I was younger, this used to be exactly the case. You'd have friends that would come into town. Um, from to, to visit family, or certainly, you know, when you're in school, and you know, you would come back and you would hook up with your friends, and you haven't seen your buddies from high school for a while, and you you would find your favorite watering hole to go and have, you know, a cocktail or two, or a soda pop, or whatever. And I, I thought, just for fun, we've only got a few minutes left in the program. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right. This is my question is, what is your cheers? You know, if if you're looking for a tavern, restaurant, whatever, to go and sit and have a beer or sit and have that old fashioned or a glass of wine or the soda or whatever with your, your friends who have come back into town that you haven't hooked up with for a while, what's the place that you are going to go to tonight? Hopefully not to black out. 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Back to take your calls in just a moment. All right. You wanna go <laughs> that's it. Okay, well, th- that's it. I mean, today is Blackout Wednesday, which is a- actually, as far as, as drinking nights go, that uh, they say it's a bigger night than New Year's Eve, and it's a bigger night than St. Patrick's Day because you've got all the college kids that are home, families are in town, people are getting reacquainted, and they're going out. And th- trust me, the cops know that as well. So be careful if you're doing that. We're talking about the places that you go. It, it, you know, I I grew up in Glendale, went to Nicolay High School, and for years and years there was a place on Green Bay Avenue across from Clutch Park called the Silver Spring House, and it closed a couple years ago. But that I will tell you. Wednesday night 
before Thanksgiving and the Friday, the next, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving, that place was absolutely packed because everybody who went to Nicolay High School and graduated between like 1970 and 1990, they went there on either the Wednesday or the Friday. Um, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, when we used to go out on Blackout Wednesday, we either used to head over to the Port of Hamburg or Landmark 1850, both located on Howell Avenue. Unfortunately, both are now closed. Jeff, for me, it's the rooftop at Andrusi's overlooking Lambeau Field. Um, Jeff, Nicolet people now go to the Brick Pub and Grill in Glendale. Jeff, hooligans on the east side, two blocks from my home, and my drink is being poured as soon as I walk in. There you go. We'll be there after work today. Jeff, I go to the Swinging Door Exchange right down the street from where I am right now on Michigan Street. Do not forget to eat. Um, I love that. Jeff, I've never even heard about Blackout Wednesday until last week from one of the kids at work. I'm only 40, and and by the way, my parents owned a bar for 45 years, and no, I'm not 100 years old. So that's... That's tonight. It's the it's the big drinking night. Jeff, I'm from the Sheboygan area originally, so when I visit my hometown, we like to head to Three Sheeps Brewery. I love Three Sheeps Brewery. They brew some great beer, and you're allowed to bring your dog and whatever outside food you want. I love Three Sheeps. They're um, um, really cool water slides, or I think they now just call it water slides, but um, they, they just... I, I, I love that beer. One of my very, very favorites. Jeff Kruger's in Menominee Falls. I will be there. Jeff, Ray and Dots. It's Greendale night. Jeff, the Rock River Tap in Horicon. See, people are getting into the spirit of this. Jeff, to me, it's Crash the Kettle in Fond du Lac. Wednesday before Thanksgiving. In the 90s, we used to call it Friendsgiving. Yeah, nowadays they end up calling it Blackout Wednesday. But the, the bottom line is it, it's it's one of those opportunities just to get together. And we always, like I say, I've, I've got a got a house to go to, which is very, very nice. But you got to be careful about that because the cops know about this as well. But whether you're, you're staying in and getting ready for Thanksgiving tomorrow or going out to see friends, I, I want to wish you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. I, I hope it's, it's filled with all sorts of fun, and I hope it's in addition to just the, the turkey and the stuffing and all the great meals. I hope you get to spend some quality time with the people who really matter to you a lot. I'm off tomorrow on Thanksgiving, but I'm going to be doing the Friday afternoon show as well. So I hope you tune in then. When we come back, let's find out what Greg Matzik has on his mind. He's in for John McCure on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.